Well, I'm sure uh, you all will be tired of my voice by the end of the service today. Um, I do appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to preach the Word of God. I uh, always do, and uh, pray that, that He will be honored in, um, in our reading of His Word today. Um, so we'll be in Ezekiel today, continuing our His Story series. So you can be turning to Ezekiel. Get my clicker going here. So Ezekiel, um, just to be honest with you, it's quite a daunting challenge for uh, someone who who doesn't preach very often to preach um, 48 chapters in one sermon. Um, so uh, just bear with me today as we as we get through this. Basically, what I, what I'd like for us to do is just. We'll sort of do like a Cliff Notes version of the whole book of Ezekiel. And then uh, we'll go back and, and do some application for our lives. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context about Ezekiel. Um, he was uh, a soon-to-be priest in the city of Jerusalem. Um, in 605 B.C., uh, Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, defeated Jehoiakim and takes hostages, including Daniel, back to Babylon. Okay? So Daniel was part of the first group of exiles that uh, were taken from Jerusalem uh, to Babylon. And then in 597 B.C., um, the, uh, the leaders that were left there in, uh, in Israel were a little defiant to Babylon, so Nebuchadnezzar basically caused them to submit again by, um, by conquering them in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel was one of the hostages. Uh, they said there were as many as 10,000 exiles that were taken from Jerusalem uh, into Babylon. <clears throat> Ezekiel's ministry overlaps Jeremiah, who we've looked at, the end of his ministry, and then the beginning of Daniel's ministry. Um, he was approximately 25 years old when he was taken from Jerusalem. And then five years later is where we pick up uh, in, in Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel's 30 years old. This, this would be the year that he would be installed as a priest if he were in Jerusalem. <clears throat> so basically what happens, Ezekiel is there at the, uh, near the Chabar Canal uh, with many of his fellow exiles. And the Lord appears to him in a vision. And um, in this vision, uh, he sees these four living creatures um, who had uh, four wings, who had four faces. Um, two of their wings covered their bodies. The other two were outstretched, uh, touching the, the wing of the fellow um, living creature. They had four heads. Um, and uh, Bible Project gives us a little depiction here of what they would have looked like. Uh, they also had a wheel for each creature. And Ezekiel said that they uh, appeared to be as, a, as like a wheel within a wheel. And then there was this expanse above them. And uh, let's pick up reading um, chapter 1, verse 26. Ezekiel 1.26 
And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of the throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what, what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming all around. Gleaming uh, metal, excuse me. Like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So God comes to Ezekiel here in this vision. Um, and I imagine it was very powerful um, for him to see God in this way. Um, and I think we all could imagine how we might react if we were to see this sort of thing. Um, he was in the presence of Almighty God. And uh, the only way to describe it was, um, basically it was, it was so bright and brilliant that he could barely look at it. And I would imagine that uh, if we were to be in the presence of God in this way to see this vision, um, that nothing would be the same about us after uh, that moment. And, and that can be said of Ezekiel for sure. The Hebrew word used here uh, in this last verse, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. The Hebrew word was Kavod, root word meaning heavy. Uh, so it connotates, uh, you know, weight, heaviness. Uh, it also could be used um, when referring to something that's serious in nature, you know, a weighty subject. <clears throat> in reference to a man, it would most likely describe his wealth or his reputation or his significance uh, among the other people. Uh, and likewise, when referring to God, it refers to his significance. Uh, I don't know that, that I've ever understood the word glory to mean such. The glory of God is his significance. It's the weight. And you can imagine being uh, in his presence, seeing him in this vision, that you could just feel the weight of his presence. The glory I'm sure if we were like him uh, and to see this, that nothing else would be of greater value to us. Uh, nothing could be more important. Uh, no one's words could hold more significant or significance in our lives if we were to see God in this way and see him in all of his glory. So literally the remainder of Ezekiel's life is shaped by this vision that he sees of God. And um, he, he might have wondered why he saw God's presence um, in Babylon and not in Jerusalem. And, and we'll look at that a little bit later. But if, as we keep reading here, then we'll see uh, how God is going to shape uh, the life of Ezekiel. 
Uh, let's look at the end of chapter 1 there. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me, and he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. Um... So Ezekiel has a daunting task before him. Uh, he he's basically, basically is told before he even begins speaking on God's behalf um, that he will be insulted, he'll be mocked, uh, he'll be scorned, he'll be looked down upon. Um, and even if you jump down to, to chapter 3, God just straight out tells him, they're not going to listen to what you say, but I've called, he's called him to, to speak anyway. Uh, verse 7 in, in chapter 3. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they, they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. So God is revealing here the root of the problem and why he is sending Ezekiel uh, to prophesy on his behalf. It's because his people have a hard heart. Uh, they have become callous towards him, and, um, and they are rebelling against what he has called them to. <clears throat> These are people who have, as we've seen, have been rescued over and over again by God. Um, they were delivered out of Egypt, um, and time and time again, they turned their back on, on God, and they worship the false idols, and they rebel against his name. Um, so God is, is sending Ezekiel uh, one last time here to, to send warning. And uh, this warning begins in chapter 4. Um, we can see as we start reading here that why um, Ezekiel would be scorned and, and mocked as, as he was. Because in, in chapter 4... God tells him to get on the ground and play in the dirt like a child, uh, acting out the siege or the, um, the de destruction that's going to come upon Jerusalem. He's playing with a brick. He has you know, mounds of dirt and iron pan. Um, all the while, um, his fellow exiles are, are watching on and, and laughing at him, I'm sure. And then God calls him to lay on his left side for 390 days without moving. Uh, we think we have back pain from laying in our bed sometimes, right? Uh, imagine laying on in the dirt 
in the street for 390 straight days. This would equal the number of years of punishment for Israel. And then when he was done with that, God called him to lay on his right side for 40 more days. One year each of punishment for Judah. And it gets even worse. As he lay there, he would cook um, basically a portioned out meal over cow dung to symbolize the coming lack of food and water for the people, God's people. Next, God calls uh, Ezekiel in chapter 5 uh, to shave his head with a sword and his beard. And then he would break uh, or segment out that hair into three equal parts. Um, a third would be burned in a fire. Another third chop chopped with his sword. And then the final third cast into the wind. And this would symbolize the type of punishment that God was going to bring upon the people of Israel. A third would be consumed by famine. A third will fall by the sword. And a final third will be scattered to the ends of the earth, being chased by the sword. So, like I said, we can imagine um, the type of looks that Ezekiel got as he was performing these uh, bits of street theater. And I'm sure they might have thought he had gone um, insane. Uh, but God had a message for his people, uh, a warning for them. That judgment was coming. Ezekiel continues his prophecy in uh, chapters 6 and 7. And then we get to chapter 8. And Ezekiel is transported in a vision to the temple. And what he sees there, um, I'm sure he can't believe his eyes. Um, at the abomination, as it would be called. He sees, well, let's just, let's read it. Let's, let's let him describe it for us. Uh, chapter 8, verse 10. So I went in and saw, and there, engraved on the wall all around, was every form of creeping things, and loathsome beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood seventy men of the elders of the house of Israel, And then let's skip down to, um, uh, well, just verse 12. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He said also to me, You will see still greater abominations that they commit. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And behold, there sat women weeping for Tammuz, a god, false god. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about twenty-five men, and their backs to the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun toward the east. 
So this takes Israel's uh, rebellion to a whole new level, that they would be worshiping all manner of false gods in the place where God's presence was supposed to be with them. They were to worship Him. Uh, inside and outside the temple, uh, we see people worshiping all manner of false idols that they have created and they have borrowed from um, the surrounding nations. And then in chapter 10, Ezekiel sees something interesting. The same presence of the Lord that he had seen by the Chabar Canal, he sees again, but this time it's leaving the temple. So God's presence has been ultimately pushed away by his rebellious people. They have driven him away. Uh, and he is carried out by his cherubim. So Israel is at an all-time low. And the coming judgment uh, of this people is imminent. Then we get to chapter 11. Uh, this is like a key transition tra chapter in, in the book of Ezekiel. Um, it has two sections, and we'll see uh, the rest of the book of Ezekiel has, has these same two sections. The first section is on judgment, and then the second section is about a hope that the Israelites have, a new heart, a new spirit. He'll correct their hard-heartedness and turn it into something beautiful. And we'll talk more about that um, as we get to chapter 36, uh, where this imagery is repeated. But the, the, the thing to note is that God will bring judgment. Um, it's just judgment. Um, God is a good and loving God, um, but He also is just, and He, he, he must punish uh, the sins of his people. But there is hope and there is opportunity. Um, and all along the way, you'll, as you read Ezekiel, you'll see God give them opportunity after opportunity to, to repent. Um, but they refuse him. So we get to chapter 12, and there's this section uh, that you'll see. Um... Well, I've gone too far. Um, basically, chapters 12 through 24 is a section on the judgment of Israel. Uh, God speaks out against the false prophets. He accuses them of all their sins and all their rebellion. Uh, and He really uses some incredibly strong language um, to try to get His point across. Um, chapter 15, he compares Jerusalem to a useless vine uh, that's only good for throwing on the fire and burning up. Um, in the next chapter, 16, God uses the metaphor of an unfaithful wife to describe his people. He playing the role of the husband uh, who has redeemed this young woman who was poor and dirty and unclothed. He brought her into his house. He, um, he clothed her. He cleaned her up. 
And she responds by being unfaithful to him and giving herself away to all the surrounding nations. She fails to give him any honor. She gives honor to those uh, who do not deserve it. Seeking out all manners of pleasure uh, apart from her husband. And again, he reveals the root of the problem. Chapter 16, verse 30. How sick is your heart, declares the Lord God, because you did all these things. So much of the remainder of this section uh, through chapter 24 reveals the specifics of how God is going to bring about the judgment that He has warned them about. He's going to use Babylon uh, to conquer them, uh, to bring them to their knees, ultimately resulting in the fall of Jerusalem. But as God continues to declare His just judgment, it's important to note, again, all along the way, He never abandons His people. And He offers repentance to the wicked, but they continue to refuse. The next section we'll see um, encapsulates uh, God's thoughts about the judgment of the nations. It's chapters 25 through 32. Ezekiel prophesies against uh, all the nations that are surrounding Israel, and he does it in a clockwise motion. Ammon, Moab, Seir, Edom, Philistia, Tyre, and Egypt. And I thought it interesting that all the while, God laments the destruction of these wicked people. He laments the destruction of these wicked princes and kings and rulers uh, that have set themselves up as gods. The theme of these chapters is that the nations surrounding Israel will be held accountable for their arrogance. As we've seen, all, this, all these surrounding nations have really polluted um, the worship lives of the Israelites. Um, they have taken on all of their um, false gods, all their idols, even to the point of, um, of worshiping, worshiping them in God's temple. As I said, many of these rulers of surrounding nations consider themselves to be gods. Worthy of worship. And they were a violent people and unjust in all their ways. God spent some time talking about how they will delight as they see Jerusalem fall. Um, but Ezekiel warns them that their time is coming and God will, ju will justly judge uh, all of them. They will all fall to the hands of Babylon. Then that gets us to uh, chapter 33. <clears throat> and 
end of chapter 33, a, um, an exile comes and he announces that Jerusalem has fallen and that all of Ezekiel's prophecy has come true. God has struck down um, the, the capital city of the, of the Israelites. The temple has been destroyed. And all looks grim for the people of God. And I'm sure they asked, is God finished with us? Um, he is wiping us out. Is He done with us? But praise be to God that He was not done with them yet. So from here we'll move into the sections of hope. Uh, that starts in chapter 34, goes through 37 for Israel. This is where the good news begins for them. And they are immediately given some promises. Chapter 34, um, verse 22. Let's look at that. Uh, God is um, using uh, the, the symbolism here of His people as His sheep. And they have been tormented by many um, many you know, violent animals uh, have been preying upon them. Uh, so verse 22 of, of chapter 34. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. And we know that God cannot be referring to David here. It must mean something else. And it means that there is a new and a better David coming. A Messiah, the Christ He's going to come and strike down all their enemies. He's going to come and be their good shepherd to care for them, provide for them. And then the next amazing promise that they get is in chapter 36. It's one of the most beautiful promises in the Bible. Um, Let's look at verse 25 of Ezekiel 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It would not be enough for the Messiah to come and conquer their enemies uh, because we all know that within a matter of short time, they would rebel against God again. Uh, the true solution uh, to the root of their problem, their hard heart, is a new heart. And God has promised them to transform them in this way. 
to give him a new heart that actually desires to follow his commands and, and to do what he asks of them. And we see this visualized, um, symbolized in the next chapter, um, one that we're all familiar with, the Valley of the Dry Bones, chapter 37. This is another vision that God gives to Ezekiel. He's transported to a valley and he sees just a multitude of bones of fallen Israelites. And he says they were very dry. And God called him to prophesy over these bones and as he would, he promised that they would be regenerated and, and come back to life. And as he did, they grew muscle and tissue and flesh. And then in um, the end of chapter 8, let's pick up and see what else God has to say. Ezekiel 37, uh, verse 8. Ezekiel says, but there was no breath in them. And then he, God, said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, O son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he as had commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open the graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves, and I raise you from your graves. O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So there is a, a divine solution um, laid out here by God for the restoration of His people. They have been exiled. They have been cut off from God's presence. But He says a king is coming who's going to set up His new kingdom, who's going to conquer their enemies and their sin that's in their lives and all their idols. And he's going to put within him a new heart that longs to obey his commands. And with that new heart, they're going to have a new life, totally transformed. And they'll be in his presence again. God not only has a plan for Israel, but he has a plan for all the nations. And we'll see that starting in chapter 38. 38 and 39, we see this figure um, who's named Gog. And God goes to war with this figure called Gog. And uh, basically what you need to know about Gog is that he is just evil personified. Uh, just think of every evil nation that's ever existed all put into one figure, and that is Gog from Magog. 
So God goes to war against Gog and all of his people. And God comes to a very destructive end by the hands of God Almighty. He'll be consumed by fire and earthquake and striking down from the sword. And all this is imagery for how God will deal with the evil nations and the evil people of this world and all sin. And then that brings us to the final section of Ezekiel, starting in chapter 40 and going through the end in chapter 48. There's a hope for all creation. Ezekiel, again, is transported, and he sees a new temple. This is in the 25th year of his exile. He sees this great temple, and he sees, he goes into great detail about all the gates and the chambers and the courts. And the inner temple and the priests that are there. And then he sees God's presence returning to the temple. He sees this same image that he had seen by the Chabar Canal and the same presence that he saw leaving the temple of Jerusalem, re entering the temple so that his presence could be with his people. And then finally, Ezekiel sees this stream pouring out from this new temple. And it begins as this little small stream goes down into the valley, and as it goes, it gets bigger and bigger and becomes a, a raging river that he says he could not cross. It was so deep. And as this river goes about, it's just teeming with all kinds of life. Just numerous fish, uh, trees along the bank that are producing just abundant fruit. All sorts and kinds of animals uh, are around this river. And then the very last words of Ezekiel, chapter 48, verse 35. And he says, uh, second half of that verse, And the name of the city from that time on shall be, The Lord is there. Beautiful picture of God's restored creation. I've come to really appreciate this study that we're doing, um, his story, as we, we look at the the overall picture of what God is doing. And, um, you know, it just becomes so evident as I read through Ezekiel that this is, this is a microcosm of how he's dealing with the world. Um, you know, God created us. Go back. 
all of creation was meant to be in his presence. His glorious presence, the weight of his glory, the kavud of his presence. That we might experience him on a personal level and know him deeply. That we could just delight in his glory and his excellence and all his goodness and his majesty. But sin entered the world and we rebelled against God. We took for ourselves numerous idols, uncountable idols. Everything that God commanded us to do, we rebelled against. We profane His name and we forget... uh, that there is a good and loving God. And we worship ourselves. We worship uh, God's creation uh, before Him. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The kavod of God. And we have given ourselves over um, in our sin nature to... Just so many things that don't deserve our attention. Because of our rebellion, we deserve judgment just as the people of Israel did. We, were, we deserve the just wrath of God. Because we have disobeyed His commands, because we have I mean, just slapped Him in the face with how rebellious we have been against Him. Just like the unfaithful wife uh, to her husband. So we deserve the wrath of God. And part of that judgment is separation from God. His presence being away from us. And we walk around on the earth just totally in the dark and lost and, and dead. As Paul will say, we were dead in our trespasses and sins in Ephesians. But there's hope. Amen? There's hope for us in that Christ has come. And the Christ has conquered sin and death by coming and living a perfect life on this earth and dying in our place suffering a judgment and a wrath that he did not deserve, that we deserved. He took that upon himself. And he bore our sin and he bore our shame to death on a cross. And on the third day he rose again and he stands now victorious over sin and over death. And through the Christ, we have opportunity uh, for a new heart and a new mind to be transformed by the goodness of God. Turn with me and and look at uh, John chapter 3. I mean, we've all read this a thousand times. Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Verse 5. 
See if this sounds familiar to, to what we have just read in Ezekiel. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And listen to this. The wind obeys or blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. This blew me away when I saw this connection. The Spirit of God comes upon those who will believe in Him. And it's something we don't understand. It's something we don't get. And we don't see it coming. But He comes upon these people. And He puts within them a new spirit, a new heart. That's what we call regeneration. That God would take a person who has this just horribly hard heart and is uh, just an enemy of God. And he takes it out and he puts within him a new heart that longs to be with Christ, that longs to walk in his ways. And through this way, God brings life to these dead bones. He makes us alive in Christ. And he enables us to live the life that he's called us to. A life transformed by the glory of God. Second Corinthians five seventeen, we all know. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new is come. And one day. Christ will bring an ultimate end to sin on this earth, as we saw with Gog. There's coming a day when Christ will return, and He's going to trample out sin. And He's going to conquer those who would wage violence against His people. And then He's going to restore us, those who have been given the new heart and new mind in Christ. And all of his creation back to his original design. It's so beautiful. That like we see at the end of Ezekiel, God's presence comes back with his people. And there's this new Eden where we can live in God's presence, we can enjoy him, all will be restored back to his original design. And the great part about that is we get to enjoy His presence like we were, we were meant to be. We'll feel the weight of His glory, His goodness and His grace. We'll worship Him for all of eternity. There'll be no tears, no more sin, no more death. Just enjoying His presence.
The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, I'll call us today to just to think about this simple message and think about how God would have us respond. For the sinner today, there's two paths that you can choose. You can choose judgment, the wrath of God, or you can choose hope. You can choose Christ and His life. And the hope of glory, the Spirit within us, that assures us of our salvation to the day of Christ Jesus our Lord, where will be in His presence forever. Those are your two choices today. And then for the believer, I'm going to ask you these few questions. Have you forgotten God in your life? Have you forgotten how He's redeemed you and how He's saved you and transformed you? And have you given yourself over to, to the things of the world? It's very easy if, we, if we're not careful to that the main thing won't be the main thing anymore. So I challenge you today to, to think about, is God central in your life? Are you, are you worshiping Him as He deserves? Or have you given yourself over to idolatry? Worshiping God's creation? And are you truly trusting in the Good Shepherd, our King Jesus? Let's take a few minutes and, and pray over these things. And then, uh, then we'll have a time of response.